This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 57 of Retired Racehorse Radio on the Horse Radio Network, brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products and Cashel Company. Retired Racehorse Radio is your guide to the adoption, care, and training of the retired racehorse. Brought to you in cooperation with the Retired Racehorse Project and New Vacations Racehorse Adoption Program. Today, we welcome special guest host, Kayla Benny from the Sales and Breeding Show. Together, we chat with Joelle Dunlap from Square Peg Foundation and their unique approach to therapeutic riding. We introduce you to our RRP Spotlight writer, Stephanie Bella, and share her story of her going to the makeover. And Leandra brings us another training tip in our Adoptable Horse of the Week. Stay tuned. Oh, and uh, we're trying something new this week. We appreciate all of you so much as our listeners, and we just had to give you a shout out. So we'd like to introduce our very first listener of the week, Scott Creedler. And uh, if you want to be one of our listeners of the week, just make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You could be on the show. And they're off on Retired Racehorse Radio, the podcast that is your guide to the adoption, care, and training of the retired racehorse. This is Kayla Benny in Tryon, North Carolina. And this is Joy Hills in Detroit, Michigan, and you're listening to Retired Racehorse Radio. So y'all are probably wondering, where's Jamie? Where's Jamie? I haven't heard Jamie. Well, that's because Jamie is doing a clinic, but we have a special guest, obviously. And it's Kayla Benny, and we're so happy to have her. Kayla, thanks for coming to Retired Racehorse Radio. I feel so honored and kind of at home, so I'm really excited about this. I grew up riding thoroughbreds. I love them. Let's do this. I am so happy you're here. And you were actually a guest on one of our, you were one of our first spotlight riders. I was. Um, for the makeover. So you've been on before. You kind of know the scene, the terrain here. But you also have your own podcast, The Sales and Breeding Show. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about your podcast? I do. So we discuss topics about exactly what it says, sales and breeding. Um, we're the fourth Thursday of every month on Horses in the Morning. And we cover everything from Western. We just had a Rainer and Western dressage rider on to talk about how she does sales and works with young horses and prepares them to be sold all the way to, you know, foaling out Hanoverians and Oldenburgs. And so it's, it's a fun time and everyone buys a horse at some point. So why not talk about it? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Definitely a way to educate yourself on learning where horses come from and how to get the best horse possible for you. So highly recommend her show, um, as well as, you know, ours, because new vocations, I could see a partnership there. You should definitely yes. have them on, too. That could be fun. And then tell us a little bit about you, because you're horse showing right now. She took time I mean, out of her busy schedule to come chat with us today. I ran back <laughs> to where I, where we're staying and uh, literally on foot ran to make the time. I'm at the Tryon Equestrian Center in North Carolina, and I'm showing my two show jumpers right now and just having a grand old time. We're making a big push right now. I'm used to event, and now I've jumped two feet into the jumper world, and I have an almost 18-hand 
Sal Francais that I do the 130s with. And then I have a nice young six-year-old that's doing the 110s. And we're just having fun. It's really a, a big eye-opening experience. And I'm just having a good time. So. Oh, amazing. And I love watching your videos on your social media because, okay, like, I'm tall. I'm 5'8". So it's not a big deal, like me standing next to a 16-hand horse. Kayla's not as tall as me. And she rides these, like, massive, insane horses. I know. It's crazy. And they're young. Like, they're these young, like, 17-hand monsters. And I'm like, Kayla has bigger balls than I do. And I say that on this rating of a show, but, like, it's intense. I don't know if it's bigger balls or just <laughs> lack of, uh, I don't know, but lack of brain cells. But, uh, yeah, no, my big horse, he's giant. And when we first got him, he was advertised as 17 hands. And he is very much 17-3 pushing 18 hands. And um, I'm 5'3 on a good day. I pulled him off of the van and was like, holy Moses. Like, do you need a ladder? I like how does that work? <laughs> I I stretch a lot so I can get my leg up there. And uh, luckily, he's a gentle giant, and he really wants to actually be smaller than he is. So it Ooh. works out, and he's grown into be. Don't tell my other horses, but he's my favorite. Mm. Um, and uh, <laughs> no, I love them equally, but. I thought that it was going to be too much horse. I personally love a really nice 15 two-hand horse. That My last event horse was 15 two-hands. He was amazing. And this is a big change. I don't own size 84 blankets. <laughs> I had yeah. to go out and buy yeah. them. So. I can imagine. Well, I mean, I've been there, except I was 12 years old. So I was a little bit shorter than I am now. Just a twig. Like, I was the most gangly preteen there ever was <laughs> like, like slender man it was insane but um and my lesson horse I because my parents bred Arabians but I was a little bit too tall for the Arabs at the time yep. and so my instructor was like well I have this thoroughbred Percheron cross and she's 17 three almost 18 hands and she's a green seven-year-old I was like I'm sorry what okay Luckily, you have the legs. You can just wrap. I know. I mean, as a 12 year old, it's like, cool. My dad's like, oh, my gosh. (laughs) Your dad going from the Arabians that maybe get. I had a 13. No, worse. 13, three little gray stud. I was riding around when I go to that. (laughs) That's a little bit of a leap. Literally. I know. Oh, but her name was Gabrielle. She was an amazing horse. This amazing, absolute crazy horse. But yeah, I'm uh, definitely enjoying my little 16 hand cinnamon roll right now. Like she's just the perfect size for me. <laughs> uh, well, Kayla, I'm excited for the show. It's going to be a fun one. Um, but before we get started, we're going to have a word from our premier sponsor, Kentucky Performance Products. This Nutrition Minute is brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products, the company that simplifies your search for research-proven nutritional supplements at kppusa.com. The horse that matters to you matters to Kentucky Performance Products. 
Managing horses can be challenging. Each horse's personality affects the way he behaves and reacts to the world around him. Horses with certain dispositions can be at higher risk for developing health problems than others. High-strung or excitable horses are easily stressed, but so is the timid, quiet warrior. Stressed horses are more likely to develop digestive upsets that lead to colic, diarrhea, and ulcers. Nalox Advanced was specifically developed to support a digestive tract that is under stress. It sustains proper pH levels, reducing the incidence of ulcers and hindgut imbalances, while simultaneously supporting the healing of damaged tissues. Nalox Advanced supports the complete digestion of starches and sugars and sustains populations of beneficial bacteria. Make life a little easier on your sensitive horse and start him on Nalox Advanced today. To learn more about the ingredients in Nalox Advanced, visit Kentucky Performance Products at kppusa.com. We're super excited to bring on our next guest, Joelle Dunlap, who's the founder and executive director of Square Peg Foundation. It's such a cool adaptive riding program, and we're excited to learn more about it. Welcome to the show, Joelle. Hi, thanks so much for having me, Joy. We're excited to have you. I've been learning a lot about Square Peg, and you guys are doing such a huge amount of work, and it's such a cool program. Tell us the, the high-level version of what's going on at Square Peg. Sure. Square Peg started in 2004 when we saw a gap. We saw people who wouldn't thrive in a traditional writing program for various reasons, whether that's economics or personality or learning style or a handicap of some sort, and who also wouldn't necessarily thrive in a traditional therapeutic writing program. And and we saw those people as square pegs. And, and our goal was to match those people up with horses who also were square pegs, horses that needed a career change. And we really figured that the horses' stories would help people connect to their own stories, and they could realize that they had true value, just like the horses, and that they could bring out the best in each other. And that was really the square peg story. That's such a unique um, approach to go for it. I mean, most people, you're automatically going to think of therapeutic riding programs and there's a stereotype to it. It's not a bad one. It's still a positive one, making a, a great impact. But you, I love what I saw on your website where you talked about changing it from the, the people there need the horses and you actually say the horses need the people. And that's a really unique yeah. way. How did you come to that idea? It was a midlife crisis <laughs> where I think like so many people that are in the horse world, you wake up that one morning and you go, uh, gosh, this is, it's, it's such a, a, a wealthy sport. There's so many people that are shut out. What do horses represent? And, and how do I do something good with the skills that I've spent my life building? And, and so I, I took a lot of time and I toured some really fantastic therapeutic riding programs and and I saw people doing great work and I thought, but this isn't me and I don't know why 
And, and, and then I thought back kind of through my life with horses. And many years ago, I had a riding program. I was in my early 20s. It was my first riding program of my own through a Montessori school in Sacramento. And one of the moms at the school had a teenage daughter that she just needed to keep busy through the summer. And and this was a kid that we would call trouble. And I showed up one morning and here was this teenage girl and she just had her arms wrapped around my big thoroughbred's neck. And he wasn't necessarily a calm horse. He was a really good jumper. He was a lot of horse. And here he is with his eyes half shut and he's just holding space for her in the most beautiful way. And she's just sobbing her teenage heart out. And I thought, that's what re- that's what horses are all about. That's what I want to do. And how do I, and so this was a kid that for a lot of reasons, wouldn't have thrived in a traditional writing program. We, most of us grew up learning, teaching writing came out of the military. And most of the way that people grew up learning to ride was with a military style. And this kid was never going to thrive under that type of teaching approach. But, you know, a therapeutic writing program that was designed for people with physical handicaps wasn't going to serve her either. And and so it was just things like that made me think there's a gap here and how do we fill that gap? And that's what made me realize that it wasn't necessarily just the riding. It was it was the fact that these horses hold space for us better than some of our best friends. Now, Joelle, you have predominantly thoroughbreds or all like all thoroughbreds. Tell us about your horses. Predominantly. I'm- Okay, yeah, predominantly. predominantly. We have, yeah, we have two farms now. We have one in Half Moon Bay, California, and one in Sonoma, California. So don't feel bad for me. I operated out of two of the most <laughs> beautiful places in the world. And uh, so we have, we have 14 horses in Half Moon Bay. We have 10 in Sonoma. So 24 horses, and I think 16 of them are thoroughbreds. And then we have a fantastic pony, a couple of quarter horses, and uh, a couple of Iberian horses who are really fabulous. And now, why thoroughbreds? Well, probably the shortest answer to that is when you're writing, they say, write what you know. And with horses in this work, I think you need to work with what you know. And thoroughbreds is what I've always known and and what I've worked in. But the longer answer to that is, is that thoroughbreds are, they're so connected to humans. They're a completely unnatural breed, right? When we took the, when we took the Western European war horse and crossed them with desert hot bloods, that's where thoroughbreds came from. And nature and geography just wouldn't have made that happen. And then we bred them for speed, but we bred them in a way that they had such tremendous value that they're handled by professionals. So many thoroughbreds are handled professionally the first few years of their lives. And I find that makes them extremely tractable and extremely, they're people pleasers like no other breed that I know. And that, that's a real connection and that's a real magic that happens. And they're so darn beautiful. We're blown away by that. And I don't want to underscore the effect that beauty has in our lives. When you see a thoroughbred move, it really is poetry in motion. It really is that ballet dancer. And that's transformative for people. And we forget that. 
Absolutely. Oh my gosh, Joel, you need to be like a spokesperson for this podcast. That's exactly what we're trying to say about thoroughbreds here. Um, I was hoping she was going to go there. I was like, oh my God. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very like, I just need to, can I quote you for our uh, podcast description, please? Uh, and what I love too on your website, the ho- you have a story for each of your horses, which I think is amazing. And the racehorses who are there, you talk about their winnings and their lives on the track and then coming after. How do you decide? Because I would say on a stereotypical level for someone who's never worked with an off the track thoroughbred, they're going to be like, you're out of your mind for putting them in a therapeutic (laughs) riding program. How do you pick these horses? Like what makes them stand out to say you'd be a good fit for this program? For so many years, I had connections from the track and you would get these, these old time trainers that just had a really great horse and they're, they just wanted to keep track of them. And I would get these phone calls and, Hey, Joelle, I've got a great horse for you. And that wasn't always the case, right? You get to the track and you go, this is not a great horse for the program, but In California, and of course, throughout North America, through the development of such a fantastic aftercare movement with everything that the TAA has done, but California was a real leader with with the KARMA program, and then KARMA started, that's the California Aftercare Retirement Management Account. They actually put people with boots on the ground in the barns that would go from barn to barn and and get the horses and get their background and get their vet records and lay them up for a while and get to know them. And the great thing is that the folks at Karma are very closely invested. There are several autism families on their board and in their executive director ranks that, that kind of know what I need. And they also know that I'm a sucker for a hard case, a horse Mm -hmm. that just, some trainers got the 16 hand gray gelding that retires sound and he's just slow. That's obviously a horse that can very easily be placed in a sport home. And there are such great programs. I mean, nobody does it like new vocations in canter and they're going to find those horses a great home. What we want is a horse with a nice mind, but with that story, that's going to connect people who feel marginalized to the best part of themselves. And and we want to be able to help those horses that aren't going to be able to find uh, a sport home easily. So the one-eyed horses are the horses that are going to have some recurring soundness problems that need some maintenance. We've got a horse where the tip of his ear is missing. That's just, he's not going to look great in a hunter ring <laughs> when one ear looks like a mouse. So, but, you know, he's a fantastic horse and he's beautiful and he's kind and he's sweet and he's a little bit funny looking. And so, yeah, so it's the stories that help connect people to realize that just because this horse has some limitations, he still has lots of things to offer. And that's really the story that we want to project. Oh my gosh, Joelle, I just like, I just want to hug you. Like you're so good for the horse world. You're such an amazing person. And you guys, I have to admit, I gave a very underwhelming introduction for Joelle because she's accomplished a lot. And I would love for you to share just a little bit about your horse history and kind of how you got started with horses and all the amazing things you've done. Yikes. Um, (laughs) Sorry to put you you on the spot, but it's going to be more interesting with you. (laughs) I was a horse crazy kid and my mom's family had a lot of riders in the family, a lot of jockeys in the family, which meant that my mom was terrified of the track because it was a rough place, especially Mm. most of these guys rode in the 40s and 50s. 
And she and my grandmother were terrified that I would end up around racehorses. And I don't know whether it was bloodlines or just sheer teenage naughtiness, but that's where I ended up. And that that day that somebody hands you money to gallop a racehorse, you're just like, are you kidding? Wait, I get to get on this beautiful horse and and gallop it and you're going to pay me. And so that occupied uh, a good part of my life. I did decide not to ride races. I was a young mom, and my son actually was witness to a a really bad accident with a jockey that he thought really highly of, and it terrified him. And that ultimately helped me make the decision not to ride races professionally, and I got a lot more involved in placing courses off the track. Then started riding schools, got asked by uh, a really fantastic polo player to our polo coach to find horses off the track for him. And that fueled my polo fascination for a lot of years. It's a fantastic game. If you haven't played, if you haven't tried, stop everything and play polo. It's such great fun. And those connections led me to be able to fox hunt with the Red Rock Hunt, with the Los Altos Hunt. So I got to do a lot of things, mostly because people wanted free or cheap horses. And so I think in my younger years, that fueled a lot. I ran a couple racehorse farms, breeding farms, and then ultimately started Square Peg in 2004. And I've just been so lucky to be outside with horses most of my life. Definitely living the horse girl stream by far. Amazing life. Amazing. It just goes in all with the stories again. It's all about the story and how much it matters and how you connect with different people. And even the horses that you rehome, you still include their stories on your website of where they're going and what they're doing today it shows you really care about all the horses who come to your program as well as the people. And that says a lot about you, Joelle. Well, thank you. Well, we owe it all to them, right? These horses, we've bred a breed of horse that will give you absolutely everything. And I think we owe a a karmic duty to them and, and they always repay you. I love it. You guys heard it from Joelle karmic duty. You owe it to your horse to treat them like Kings and Queens that they are. Joelle, thank you so much for coming on the show today. If people want to learn more about square peg foundation, where it's the best place to find information. The website is, we kind of made it slightly non-traditional. It's much more about stories simply because most websites are brochures and they're like, advertising what they do. Probably one of the only sad things about Square Peg is that we've got a waiting list of families needing services that is way, way too long. And we have way too many horses that need homes. So it's not a sales space, it's a story space. So if you want to read the stories of the horses or stories about crazy, funny, sweet, magical things that happen here, uh, squarepegfoundation.org is our website. And we are a 501c3, so if you wanted to make a donation, that helps. We can't do it without support and social media. Just find Square Peg Foundation on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, of course, and we're there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again for joining us. Check out Square Peg Foundation, read all the fun stories. And yeah, we're looking forward to catching up on your next promotions as things start opening up. We'll follow you guys there. Thanks so much. Really appreciate it. So guys, it's fly season. Yes, the season we all dread as our horses roll, kick, scratch, buck all around us because of those dang flies. But don't worry, 
Cashel Companies got your back. Cashel Companies Crusader line has everything you and your horse need to stay fly free. Say that six times fast and comfortable this summer available in fly masks fly sheets and fly boots cashel company's crusader line comes in an array of styles sizes that offer the most amazing alternative to chemical based fly sprays that are expensive and don't last long don't forget to check out cashel's quiet ride line as well to enjoy those long summer hacks and not worry about flies ruining your ride Treat you and your horse to some fly-free comfort and check out Cashel Company's Crusader and Quiet Ride products today at any of their nationwide authorized dealers or visit www.cashelcompany.com. I'm pleased to welcome our next guest, Stephanie Bella. She's a 23-year-old out of Indiana who's preparing her RRP horse, a whole lot of chocolate, for the 2021 Thoroughbred Makeover. Welcome to the show, Stephanie. Thanks for having me. Of course. So I want to start a little bit about you. Tell us a little bit how you got involved with horses, specifically thoroughbreds. So I've been riding my whole life. In fact, when I was eight, I decided I kind of want to be a jockey. So I kind of held on to that dream. And when I was 18, I got a hold of a guy named Dennis Reese with Reese Ranch. He's 20 minutes from my house and he's had thoroughbreds for, oh, about 10 years now. And I got a hold of him, and originally he told me that he does not have a job opportunity. So he did ask me what what I've done in my whole life, and I kind of gave him my credentials from the last 18 years. And he said, can you start on Wednesday? So I started there when I was 18, and I've been there ever since. Amazing. How did you decide at eight years old that you wanted to be a jockey? Like, was it a movie? Was it watching races? Like, what inspired that? Well, I'd always been a kind of a thoroughbred junkie, so I watched Dreamer and Secretariat mm-hmm. and Seabiscuit and all those movies, and so I kind of watched them. I was like, yeah, I, I want to do that, and then I grew to be five foot ten. <laughs> I feel your pain. So, I'm five eight. I yeah. get it. It's hard to find pants, and it's probably hard to be a jockey too. But uh, oh no, yes, I love all those movies. So you're fitting in the club, right? Perfectly. You're great. You have an interesting story with Whole Lot of Chocolate because you've been involved in his life since birth, practically. Tell us a little bit about your experience with Whole Lot of Chocolate, who has the best name ever, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) So I started working there in August, like I said, when I was 18, and he was born the end of April. So I've been involved in his life that since, what, about three months old? And I actually named him, his, na- his bar name's Gunner. So I named him Gunner. And then right before he turned two, we're like, we got to come up with his name for this twirling candy. And uh, I was like, well, I was like, he just got a whole lot of chocolate. There's not one ounce of white on him at all. So out came the name whole lot of chocolate. And my boss kind of laughed at it at first, but I was like, it fits him to a T and it goes along with the candy line and all of that. How special that you got to name it and now you're taking it to the Retired Racehorse Project. What are you going to aim, Miss? Are you, do you call him Chocolate? Is that his barn name? I hope so. Gunner. Gunner. Jeez. <laughs> Way to be off, Kayla. <laughs> I know. I was like, it's got to be Chocolate. I'm so off. It's fine. So Gunner, what are you aiming him for? Have you not decided just yet? So we're aiming towards barrel racing and then competitive trail. I think I'm going to, you know, do a, two classes 
but we're aiming for barrel racing and competitive trail, and he's so far doing great with it. And how do you prepare for the competitive trail? Well, we've I've kind of read the rules and kind of know what we're looking at. So I've kind of just been showing him anything and everything I can. He's not scared of anything. So he, he just kind of goes where I put him, and I've been pretty lucky with that. Fantastic. So, and I, so I went to the retired racehorse project back in 2017 and I ride primarily English. So I, but I got to watch all the Western disciplines and the competitive trail was the one that I just thought was so interesting and so rounded and to watch these thoroughbreds that lived on the racetrack have to do these things was so exciting for me. I don't know. I just thought it was really cool and having to side pass over things and, and stop and stand and just teaching them patience. It's gotta be a lot of patience on your end to teach them all these things. Oh yes. Patience. Patience is a virtue. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. And, you also mentioned barrel racing too. And I'll be honest, because I'm an English girl too, but I started Western Pleasure. So I know as much about barrel racing as I know about red wine, which is all of it tastes good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and with thoroughbreds, especially coming off the track, we know they tend to be wiggly. They kind of struggle staying on a, a straight path. So how on earth are you getting them to go at full speed in like a clover leaf pattern and staying balanced? How are you working him for that? Well, so luckily with Gunner, I've done anything and everything under the sun with him since three months old. So he learned woe, he learned stopping and backing, and he learned his leads. I started riding him at 18 months old. So he he's well-rounded, and so taking him off the track, he's had to learn patience and standing and things that I wasn't able to teach him while I was teaching him for the racetrack. So he's been to, oh, probably... 10 to 15 shows already, but he's all he's done is just go and stand and, and relearn that the announcing and the horses running around aren't necessarily for a race. It's to kind of collect and come back and have fun. So he's just now getting to the point where he's willing to stop and stand and look around and he watches everybody else now. And uh, I rode him around on a loose rein for the first time. That was probably the best thing. I, I think everybody was wondering why I was crying. <laughs> I was just so happy that my horse was just listening at a show. Like, And then once they learned he was off the track, they're like, he's well behaved for a racetrack horse. And I'm like, listen, this has taken all of my might to get to this point, even though yeah. I've done so much with him. That's so uh, special. Yeah, I was going to say that's fabulous advice for anyone, whether you're going to the makeover or not, when you bring, I think, honestly, any young or green horse, not even just an off the track, but taking them to shows and clinics and just auditing to be there and see the experience and just sit and breathe and relax and be comfortable, then start showing, then going after things as they get comfortable with that environment. That's stellar advice. That's what the Retired Racehorse Project's all about is the whole process. So, and for you to be 23 and to think about that and not feel the pressure of having to go and and do and just taking a, a deep breath is very refreshing to hear. So kudos to you. Well, thank you. 
Now, are you worried with anything with COVID or shows? I think things are slowly starting to open up, which is a beautiful sight to see. But do you feel like you're pretty prepared to go to the makeover? Yeah, I COVID doesn't really bother me. This year, Indiana is pretty much normal. The shows go on and they don't worry about masks or anything like that. So he's been able to go and we've been able to go and he just kind of travels with my other horse that I've been barrel racing on. and We just kind of go and learn. Go and learn. I think that's something everyone can take away. <laughs> I, I really do. Like that's something everyone should be keeping in mind, no matter how trained your horse is, because you're learning every day. It's a lifelong sport. It's a beautiful thing. Now we need to brush over what was Gunner's race career like? Where did he race? Did he win money? Was he fast? Obviously not because he's not on the track anymore. But tell us a little bit more about him. So that is actually a funny story that you mentioned. He's not because he's not on the track anymore. That was almost not going to happen for me. So Gunner ran at Indiana Grand and he's had 13 starts, four wins, two seconds, two thirds. So he had a very successful career, 128,000 in earnings. He's a black type placed. He actually, his last start, I was sick on the way home, like just stomach sick because I knew that he ran. It wasn't a great last race, but it was pretty nice. He ended up running second in the race before that. And I, my boss, I told me that he's staying if he runs good. And he was sound, healthy, clean-minded. And so I was like, he's going back another year. My RRP dreams are going to be on hold. And uh, we get back and he's like, don't worry, he's going home with you. And I was like, oh, thank goodness. <laughs> How sweet. No, it's so special that you got to, you've been able to start from birth or practically birth all the way through and then the RRP is just a bump in his career. There's going to be so much more success in the future. And it sounds like you're taking your time. So, which is very important for these young horses. It doesn't matter if they're thoroughbred or not. Just take your time, build their success. And I'm so excited to watch your guys' journey. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Wonderful. Well, Stephanie, if people want to follow you and Gunner, what's the best place they can find you? We are on Instagram mostly. My at is Racing Western. And then he does have his own Facebook page under Whole Lot of Chocolate. But I am a very big slacker on the Facebook page. <laughs> but the Instagram is Racing Western. Wonderful. Well, check out Racing Western on Instagram. We wish you and Whole Lot of Chocolate all the best. And we will see you at the makeover. Thank you. See you guys there. It just wouldn't be an episode of Retired Race First Radio without another trading tip from Leander Cooper from New Vocations Race Horse Adoption Program. And we're so excited to have her back on the show. It feels like forever, even though it was just a couple weeks ago. Hey, Leandra. <laughs> hey, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm so glad to have you because I feel like I have a thousand training tips or questions for training, I should say. Because it's fun to ride again. Shows are happening. People are out getting busy. Lessons are back and going now that the world's opening up. So I just have a thousand things I could ask you. But today, I really wanted to focus on a simple one. And that is, how do you get your horse comfortable with having their ears touched? That is so funny that you ask that because that has been a major (laughs) 
project of mine with specifically one of the horses who came in having had a history of a kind of fungus that grew in his ear Mm. since he was young, as far as I can track it down. So while the fungus is clearing up, and I will shamelessly throw out that we use a product called Resolve that's made by Haggard, which truly is like a miracle product for any kind of skin funk, which I can say having tried this many times. So we shove some cotton in his ears and spray it and it in a week has already transformed. So even as that's transforming and clearly the scabs are coming off, he just has so much conditioned behavior to protect himself for what he, I'm sure, has felt as pain or discomfort when his ears are touched. So now we're on the process of reprogramming his brain. I always like to call it reprogramming because, of course, they can learn new habits. It's just kind of up to us to change those. So in those situations, it's really common that horses just don't like their ears being touched. So there's sort of a couple different ways you can approach this. One, I think of some of the training that I have doing body work and thinking about sort of the energy space around your horse and that they're nonverbal. They're very in tune with the energy around them and the nonverbal communication. Mm -hmm. And so when you're going to touch the area around them, one of the things that I thought was neat just in like a mental picture was thinking about the energy space around them. So if you have a horse who's already anticipating pain or you can tell they're uncomfortable and you're not even touching them yet, then you can kind of let your hand hover or just kind of hang out in that space and wait for them to get used to it and then go a little bit more. You can always back off from it, kind of in the same approach that we've taken or that I've described in other ways of introducing your horse to new things where you're introducing, kind of getting from that red zone to the yellow zone and then hopefully getting to the green zone. But sometimes you that's it's a fluid zone system. So you're always trying to push that boundary to get more into the green zone, but it might require sort of stepping back a little bit and then reapproaching. So just thinking about the energy space and just being in tune with the feedback you're getting from the horse, because some of them, it'll just be when you're physically touching their ears or when you're manipulating their ears. And then some of them, you're not even touching it yet. So just being aware of that and understanding that it's not about rushing into that zone that you're wanting to pay attention, slowly push those boundaries. And that might mean retreating, coming back to it. So thinking about it like that, I will say also is just a very standardized thing to get used to. That's really going to help your horses instead of when you're bridling them, instead of pulling their ears forward to go, when you're putting the head stall on, it doesn't matter Mm -hmm. what type, it has to go over their ears. And instead of pulling your ears forward, think about pushing their ears forward from behind, that you're not yanking on them. You're actually just pushing them in a more natural motion, if that makes sense, the way that I'm describing it. And then I would say when you have a horse who's already really uncomfortable, you can help them out one bite if you have a halter that has the piece that's just going to go behind their ears and not having to put it over their ears and worry about pushing forward or yanking, pushing their ears forward or trying to get it over their ears at all. You can help them out by that. But we know that you can't avoid things forever, especially when it comes to bridling and all of that. 
So what is really going to ha- need to happen, so taking a step back, thinking about that big picture, is that the horse is going to need to learn a new behavior path. And that's going to take time. It's going to take repetition. So really, you're going to want to introduce the idea that it doesn't have to be a terrible thing because a lot of them just have become conditioned for whatever reason. Maybe it's a fungus. Maybe they've been ear twitched. There are a lot of different ways they can become uncomfortable with it. Maybe they just hate it. Maybe they just think mm-hmm. that it's terrible. That um, you're going to need to introduce that new pathway to them, or maybe it's not new, maybe they just don't have a lot of exposure to it, that it's okay and that things aren't going to be terrible. And I know this is getting long-winded, but it actually it's a simple question, but it's a long process. Get your horse really used to putting its head down when you put pressure on. So if you have the lead rope and it's just halter and lead rope, get them used to responding to pressure, which is really a simple ask, but you'd be surprised maybe by how many horses don't do it like that. So in the example of the horse that I'm working with, he's learned to protect himself by lifting his head up. But the problem is every time that I try to halter him, that if he kept his head down, we would never have to touch his ears at all. Mm -hmm. But if I even just with throwing the reins over his head, that if his head were down and he were used to that and comfortable with it, I would never have to touch his ears. But he tries to protect himself. He throws his head up. And then it ends up touching his ears to start first by making sure that they're comfortable with just keeping their head in a relaxed position. Because if you can unlock, unlock that, you're going to have a lot more success down the road. And maybe they still are going to have a moment where they pull back, but you're going to have a lot more to work with there. So it's really, you're going to need to approach it from a couple of different ways to get a really fixed behavioral pattern change to reprogram, like I call it. And overall, you're going to get a horse who's a lot more comfortable with the whole concept, and you're going to get a a horse who's more relaxed working with you, and hopefully the behavior like putting their head down when you have pressure on is going to help you in a lot of different ways, even under saddle. I love it. It's all about building that foundation, and you are so consistent on telling us that. So uh, great tips to have for sure. Now, speaking of good behavior, why don't we get to our adoptable horse of the week, Wayfarer? How would you rate his behavior? Is he an easygoing guy? He's a super easygoing guy. And he's one where even on the cross ties, he absolutely falls asleep. So with him, he's this very robust, thick built, takes up a lot of leg, very round guy. That's 16 hands, four years old. He's a real beefcake of a horse. And he has that really even keel disposition on the ground. He's just very consistent, really easy to work with in a lot of different ways. And he is just now going through this kind of what we might personify as the teenage phase where he's still figuring out where his legs are and he will sometimes Mm -hmm. challenge the rider a little bit under saddle. He's trying to figure out his place and all of this, but he still has this really nice floaty gait to him. It'll walk, trot and canter. He has a lot of potential that you could feel. So he needs somebody who can lay those ground rules, who can sort of guide him through keeping all his body parts going in the same direction and going through that awkward phase of transformation with him. But he's just going to be such a rock star once he figures it all out under saddle and learns how to move a little bit better because he is just as quiet as they come on the ground. Absolutely. And also he's practically royalty. His sire is Curlin, just a fabulous Mm -hmm. horse there. 
So he's, he's definitely, and he's beautiful. He's just this beautiful, yeah. dark bay, super kind face, just cute little socks on the hind end. Really stunning horse. I think could go in any direction. So make sure you check out Wayfair on horseadoption.com as well as all the other horses. Leandra, thank you so much for your time today. We so appreciate it. And we can't wait to see you next episode. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Well, Kayla. Thank you so much. I like I can't even I don't even have words. It's been so fun to have you on today's episode as my guest host. It's been fun to talk about your podcast and you know, just thanks for being here today. It's it's been great and you're obviously a great podcaster. Well, thank you. I'm so honored that you even reached out. I was like I'm I've been so excited for this. So, I love thoroughbreds. I think they're extremely useful in so many different ways and it was so exciting to meet another RRP candidate or participant. And I'm just still, I'm so stuck on the fact that I messed up his barn name and just assuming that it was chocolate. I'm like, so embarrassed. I'm going to go crawl in a hole now, eat some chocolate. And <laughs> it was probably definitely not the one to bet on, but I mean, I think most people would have thought it was chocolate, but you know, Gunner too. Gunner too, you know. <laughs> no, no, it was a fun interview and it probably was great to talk to someone who, you know, you've had some advice to give since you've been to the makeover. You're a veteran there and hearing someone I, excited to go. I think that I learned more from her than any advice. Like, I mean, that's the one thing that I always take away from the makeovers. You need to take mm -hmm. your time and every horse is an individual and the idea behind the makeover is to build a foundation and you go to have a good time not to actually be super competitive it's just if you win it's icing on the cake so, absolutely and I feel like Joel would say it's all about the story it's all yeah. about telling the story and I love when an episode comes full circle uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well thanks again Kayla it's been wonderful you can find our show notes and links to today's guests on our website at retiredracefirstradio.com make sure to like us on Facebook and Instagram yes that contest is still going and we're like 50 people away so make sure to like subscribe share with your friends and win a box of crap you know you want to it's going to be great so just search for us at retired racehorse radio on both facebook and instagram follow us on twitter at horse radio jamie's not here but make sure to check out her uh facebook page flyover farm jamie jennings certified money roberts instructor and kayla where can people find you if they want to reach out to you so i am at selkuthsporthorses.com i'm on facebook under kayla benny that's B-E-N-N-E-Y, or my Selkuth page, which I'm not as active on. And we also have an Instagram page, and I'm on TikTok, too. I'm I'm hanging with the young kids these days. You're a TikToker? I am an influencer. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Uh, <laughs> I feel like I'm so late to that party. <laughs> I, I'm so I'm so too old to be on there. It's, like, embarrassing. But, you know, it's, it's fun, you know. That's all that matters. <laughs> <laughs> and where can we find you? Of course. Uh, you can shoot me an email at joy at horseradionetwork.com. You can find me on Instagram at the foodie equestrian. If you like horses and food, that is the page to follow because they're both doesn't? there. Who uh, doesn't? Weirdos. <laughs> weirdos who shouldn't be listening to the show. <laughs> uh, thank you so much to our sponsors, Kentucky Performance Products and Cashel Company. And don't forget to check out all the other shows on the Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. Remember to set your goals high and love to learn from every ride and give your horse a pat after every ride. 
and spay, neuter, and geld. Bye, guys! (laughs) 